Welcome back to the Lorcana Cast, the most magical podcast on earth. No, no, this is Lorcana Cast, the premier Disney trading card game podcast. I'm your host, Sugi. With me in this episode are Chris, who we had last week. Hey, how's it going, Chris? Awesome, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you. Uh, James is out and about. He may or may not join us later in this episode. So, you know, cross your fingers and wish on a shooting star. We'll see what happens. But we are here to introduce our fourth member of the Lorcana cast, and that is Jason. He was off on an adventure going to Europe and Disneyland Paris, and uh, I'm maybe a little bit jealous, but that's okay because we're glad to have him here with us. So, Jason, how are you doing? I am doing very good, my friend. I am very excited to join this team. As you, these guys can tell you, I have been like a kid waiting to open my presents on Christmas morning to record this episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's It's been a lot of fun kind of talking internally about all these really cool things with the trading card game. But before we get into Lorcana as a whole, our last episode, we three talked about ourselves and, you know, our history and our stuff like that. So we want to give you the exact same chance so people get to know a little bit more about you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your trading card game experience? Yeah, sure. So uh, as Suki said, my name is Jason, but uh, you can either call me Jason, um, Jay, or even Cap because of how much I love Captain America. I've been a huge nerd and fanboy my entire life. I love Marvel, DC, Star Wars, uh, Dragon Ball, Kingdom Hearts, you, you name it. I pretty much love it. Um, In terms of my Disney experience, I am a former cast member, uh, which is why I can join our amazing team here. Uh, It's actually how Siggy and I met. We used to work together in the parks, and uh, we were actually uh, reunited pretty recently. Uh, Siggy mentioned his his birthday celebration. That was a couple months ago. So, yeah, all all together, uh, I worked for the company about uh, eight years all all together. Did work for store and, uh, and, and the parks, did a lot of different things. And as he said, I just got back from Europe, went to Disneyland Paris, had an absolute fun time. And now I'm kind of like Thanos collecting the Infinity Stones, crossing the parks off my list. So hoping to go to Tokyo Disneyland next. Yeah, that, that sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. What were some of your highlights at Disneyland Paris? Like, I haven't been there. Uh, you've obviously been to Disney World. That's where we work together. So what are some of the the differences between is it is there like a cultural difference or the rides better or shorter or you know like what what's that like if someone's listening and they're like i want to go to disneyland paris what should i expect yeah absolutely uh there's a huge difference obviously between the the states and and france uh, but in terms of i'll start with the the parks themselves right so the thing that i noticed about the park is it's kind of like if you take like Disneyland out in Anaheim and, you know, the Magic Kingdom here in Orlando and kind of put it together. There's there's kind of like touches and flavors of both where like Main Street is like wider, but it feels like the Main Street in, in Anaheim. Uh, the, the rides are uh, attractions, excuse me, are very different. Um, the, the For example, like Peter Pan's flight is different there as opposed to here at the Magic Kingdom or even at, at Disneyland. Okay. 
And then what were some of your like favorite rides and attractions and shows? Were there a lot of duplicates? If, you know, people have been to Disneyland, Disney World, there's a lot of crossover where, you know, Haunted Mansion is very similar. Small World's very similar. It's not like there's a major difference as opposed to, say, like Guardians, the coast, the Guardians of the Galaxy coaster at Epcot is exclusive to the East Coast, whereas Indiana Jones Adventure is exclusive to the West Coast. Yeah. So they have, um, for example, their uh, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, which is one of my favorite attractions is actually uh, really cool so the track itself is like in the middle of like um so like water area kind of like they're like man-made like little little pond and so to to get there you know you board it on like one side in like Frontierland, and the track actually goes like underwater to like get you to like where the 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 attraction is so i thought that was really cool and then their Haunted Mansion, which they call Phantom uh, Manor, I believe, is oh. it, it's, it's very, very different from what, from what we know. If you've been to, again, the Haunted Mansion in Magic Kingdom or the, uh, the Haunted Mansion in uh, Anaheim at Disneyland, very, very different. And so like with, with that one, like their, their focus is if you're familiar with the character of the bride, uh, their their attraction is centered around that character. All right. So it sounds like you had a really fun time kind of gallivanting off in the parks and just enjoying the you know Disney experience. So let's let's kind of pivot into the trading card game aspect. So what is it about Lorcana that's got your attention? Everyone's got something. Some people are collectors, some people are players, some people want a new trading card game. So, you know, what was it that you saw at that D23 announcement that just grabbed your attention and said, I want to play this game? Yeah, so I would say it comes down to infinite possibilities. And I think uh, James or Chris touched on this before, that if you just start with set one traditional Disney canon, because you know that's what they said they're starting with, just from that set of infinite characters alone is very exciting. Of course, that's going to go... To infinity and beyond once we get pixar and lucasfilm <laughs> and marvel introduced you know we get buzz and and you know spider-man and you know indiana jones and darth vader and luke skywalker and then from a, a player standpoint you know i'm a very competitive player and you know i think this game again is something that you guys have kind of briefly touched on already is like this game hits the you know three like target markets of like potentially of like competitive players casual players and collectors and that's just like very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a little bit of something here for everyone. And that's kind of the fun thing about our team. We each want something different out of the game, but it all kind of coincides with Lorcana as a whole. So let's talk about some more fun stuff before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. Uh, classic question that we're going to ask everybody who comes on the show. Favorite Disney character and you know, we'll preface with OG non touchstone pictures. Wink, wink. So no, no Jack Skellingtons. Sure. So James took my initial one with the genie. So to be different, I would say it's either Hades. Uh, keeping this a family show, I won't talk about James Woods as a individual. <laughs> um, but it's either going to be, be Hades or Baymax. Oh, okay. And so for, for movie, it's going to be Big Hero 6. Um, reason why is that movie is actually very important. Um, to me and, and uh, my wife, that, that that was our first date was seeing that movie. Um, and so I feel like and we, we, we watch it every year on our, our anniversary just to kind of we like replicate like our first date, basically. Uh, and, you know, I think I think that movie really got overshadowed by Frozen. Um, unfortunately, at the time that it was it was released because Frozen, you know, came out first and it was 
it was big and just the it's just the the story of you know brothers you know of hero and tadashi and then you know learning how to deal with loss and coping and then you know hero learning how to let go and be okay oh yeah i think big hero six is a fantastic movie one mm-hmm. one of my favorites by far also disneyland is getting a remake on their uh, pixar pier uh which is going to be partially new San Francisco, and I'm really excited to Ooh, see that. Yeah. Did you Did you hear about that? At no, no. You just You just made my day. Oh yeah. So the area of Disney's California Adventure, where they had the sourdough bread, and not not too terribly much, honestly. It was pretty much like it looks like a giant warehouse. It's kind of cool, but there's not like a show or a meet and greet or anything. There's just a little sourdough bread kind of thing they're going to retheme that pretty neutral area into a san francisco wharf front so Mm. there's a little bit of artwork and mock-up stuff that they're proposing which we know could mean absolutely nothing but the good news is like they're going they're going to do something with big hero 6 in the parks and i'm really excited to see what they do because they didn't announce like a ride or anything but i'm going to assume we'll probably be able to meet baymax in that area and it's a great opportunity to have a little you know you know, meet and greet plus food combo, maybe a little sit down area like who knows, but it's just going to be cool. So let's talk a little bit about your uh, trading card game experience in like, you know, the games you like, where you've gone, what your competitive nature is. And another thing we talked about in the last episode that I would love to get your input on is we talked about different terms and keywords that are most commonly used in trading card games. And uh, unfortunately, you weren't there to participate. But now that you're here, I want to get your take on, you know, terms you think that we might not have touched on that will be, you know, utilized that newer players or people who don't play TCGs at all might hear in conversation and not exactly known or wonder, what is that term? What does that term mean? Yeah, sure. So I've been playing TCGs competitively for... About 25 years. Um, I have a lot of tops, whether that's like regionals or different side events. Um, I've, you know, obviously made some national tournaments before. Uh, my hope as a competitive player is to not only top, but win a national tournament one day for uh, whatever game I'm playing. In terms of what I played, I've played Yu Gi Oh!, uh, Pokemon, the score, and a Panini Dragon Ball Z game, uh, the Naruto CCG. Uh, I know the basics of Magic the Gathering and Final Fantasy. I have a lot of friends that play them, so by extension, I know those uh, a little bit about those games. Um, but my game of choice right now is Dragon Ball Super. I absolutely love it. Um, we are actually kind of gearing up for our, our national season here in December, so trying to get my invite for that. Um, in terms of my play style, just to touch on that real quick, um, you guys mentioned being control players. My typical play style is to be aggro or uh, mid-range. And if I'm feeling spicy or super uh, degenerate, then I play hand destruction. Oh, that is nasty. Yeah, because, uh, again, for you know people who don't know, hand destruction is essentially what it sounds like. You're, you're just saying, okay, uh, discard two. Or if you have cards like in my game where I get to pick a card out of your hand and send it to your, your graveyard, uh, then if you don't have cards in your hand, then guess what? You can't play the game. Then I can do what I what I want and try to go for the win. Um, in terms of my uh, my term that I wanted to talk about, it's uh, kind of spicy, kind of fiery, and that is burn. So so tell us a little bit about um, what burn is 
Yeah, because I'm not exactly sure if it's going to relate to Lorcana, honestly. Maleficent has the... I can't... I got to pull up the card again, but, but would you say that that's a version of Burn? No, that's removal. Okay, go ahead, Jason. Yeah, no worries, man. So traditionally with uh, with Burn, it's basically cards that just basically say inflict um, X direct damage. I know sometimes in Magic it can be to, like, a, you can target, like, a creature or your, your opponent's life. Um, but typically it's a card that says like inflict like three damage, you know, to like your, essentially to your, your opponent's life. And you're just trying, it's, it's basically like non-interactable direct damage to your, your opponent. And there's been a lot of strategies, um, a popular one to take Yu-Gi-Oh, for example, was to make a monster called Gaga Ga Cowboy. Yeah. Sugi already knows. And you get your yeah. opponent basically down to 800 life points or less. Um, in Yu-Gi-Oh, you lose the game slash duel when you hit zero life points. So you detach the material they use to make Cowboy. You inflict 800 in this game. So that's an example of burn for, for Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, now, you did mention, well, this uh, pertain to Lorcana. So an example I had is what if they theme it essentially around a character like Hades, for example, where he has, like, he comes into play and say he has like if he has like pain or panic in play or if he's like challenging um hercules like if if there is if this game which you guys talked about before so maybe it wouldn't work but if there's some kind of way to inflict damage maybe to like your character since this may not be like a life base game yeah i, I think again we talked about it last time I, I don't i don't know that lorcan is going to have a hit point system right that would be this is all speculation but i'd be surprised if there was direct damage to players in this game just because of the 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 nature of what the cards we've seen so far it seems way more like a a, a quest for so many points or control so many area type game to me but it'd be interesting i mean there there is uh you know effects that remove characters or to control characters. I just don't know if we have that third step that Burn is, is known for, which is uh, directly in a, a game by attacking the, the player himself. Yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure if Lorcana would actually utilize that mechanic. So in, in Magic and traditional card games, kind of what Jason was alluding to, most Burn decks are very non-interactive decks. So if you think about Magic, uh, both players have 20 life. So as a burn player, you generally build this wall that your opponent can't get over. And then you have all of these cards on the table that say, you know, uh, when someone draws a card, they take damage. And when someone summons a creature, they take damage. And when someone spends resources to cast a character, they take damage. And so the idea is you deal just enough damage where you have, you know, one or two more life points than your opponent. So at that point, the game is just progressively you're, you're both dying slowly but if you've got 19 life and your opponent has 15 life then theoretically they should die before you and you win the game so it's it's a slow burn which is where the term comes from where you're just dealing you know direct damage to the opponent with you know spells that like a lightning bolt says deal three damage to target player or creature cool lightning bolt to the face all right opponent draws a card take a damage opponent plays a card take a damage Opponent sneezes, take two damage, and, you know, you're just progressively slowly killing them. Where in Lorcana, because I don't think Disney is going to use a life point system where, you know, Illumineers start with 20 life right. and you have to kill each other because, you know, they don't like to use death or kill or stuff like that. I mean, even even on the cards themselves, you're not fighting, you're challenging 
So they're using a very strict terminology that's very family and child friendly so that at no point, you know, is a player ever going to say, you know, my Cruella kills your Elsa. It's like, no, Cruella challenged Elsa to a, you know, match of wits or a duel of some sort. But I could see the game utilizing burn in a different terminology where maybe you're burning away resources or you could see like a stall deck where, you know, you. Again, we're, this is all predicated on speculation, but you know, perhaps you're sitting at a quest and you wall up with so many characters that are just unkillable and your opponent can't stop you from scoring you know, victory points or quest points or whatever. And so you're slowly burning away the game where you know, you're acquiring victory points or resources that are unmitigatable. So maybe it could, we could see that. I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> But it's it's an interesting term that who knows what we could see it as. Any other thoughts before we move on? No, that was just the the term that that I thought of for today. Okay, so then let's move on to the meat and potatoes of this episode. And I want to talk amongst ourselves about the secondary market. This uh, can be a boogeyman to some people when you start to talk about money and trading card games and the price to buy a new Mickey Mouse, which, you know, is looking at, you know, two to three hundred dollars and a set of D23 stamp cards for two grand. Oh, my gosh. So there's a couple of things I definitely want to bring up. First of all, the secondary market is very heavily set right now at the current time of this recording in favor of collectors because players don't know anything about those cards. We can't tell if the cards are good or bad or mediocre or maybe slightly decent on a Tuesday. There's no way to tell what the value of the cards are playable playability wise. And the other thing is we've already been told by Robinsberger that they're going to reprint these cards in the first set. So there's not really a fear of acquiring the cards. It's just maybe not acquiring cards with a specific foiling and D23 stamp on them. Right. But let's talk, first of all, about what a secondary market is. Who wants to you know take the lead on this one? I, so I, I think I'll take a broad approach to the question. So, yeah, I think for any TCG or, or trading card game, as we talked about last time, which Lurkana is one of, you're going to have... Uh, a spectrum, right? You're going to have uh, one side be collectors and you're going to have one side be players. And many people that interact with the game are going to fall somewhere on that spectrum. Like most things in life is a spectrum, right? Um, you know, maybe somewhere in the middle where they like to get some shiny items, get some special items for the game that they, they like to play and collect, right? But they also want to be able to play the game. So they have cards where they can make a deck, make multiple decks, show the game out to friends, go to tournaments, that type of thing. And then you have people on that on that spectrum that all they want to do, they don't want to play the game at all. At all. all they want to do is collect the game, which generally means, you know, and and based on the information we know so far, that there would be special treatments, generally, generally means getting these chase cards or these rare cards as part of collection. So they can say, you know, I have the complete first set of Lurkana, which you know, arguably could could include these D23 foil cards, right? Um, that would be one way to, to market that collection, saying I, I have the first seven cards that were released in the game. Um, whereas you go on the other side, there might be there there will there will be players out there that that could care less about that. They they would play the game with you know blank cards that just have the stats on them. That's that's the other side of it. That's just a somebody that wants likes the rules of the game, wants to to play the game, doesn't care what the cards look like, doesn't care about reselling the cards, anything of that nature. Um, so to, to add on to what Siggy's question was, there is a secondary market because 
you know, collectors will spend money trying to get these cards. They will they'll spend more than they took to buy the cards. So, for the example we have in real life right now is that uh, at D23, there was the six cards released as a set. I think that was is that was that fifty bucks to get the set? Does that sound right? Yeah, yes. it's forty nine ninety nine. Plus tax. Right. Plus tax. And the Mickey car was the seventh car, Mickey the Taylor, and that was free. We actually, I think we, I think we, I think it's been revealed that there was nine hundred of those cards that were handed out over the weekend at D twenty three. Um, and I, I assume you got them just for going to the booth or something of that nature, or maybe making a purchase. I don't, I don't know the details about that. But those are the seven cards we have so far. And as as many of you listeners may, may know, the the package of the six cards is selling for many times what the purchase price was. You know, I just looked up some of the the numbers right now, and I, they, at one point they were going for over three thousand dollars. It looks like the price is dropping on eBay to the high high two thousands. Um, but again, that casual. that is casual, casual two thousands, right? <laughs> so that's a that's a very that's a high you know uh, trying to look at the a high tier approach of of what what a, a secondary market is and why we have one. It would be it's generally based on the collectors, and, and you know some games you could have it where it it may it may be based on players too trying to get rare cards that work for their deck right they have unique effects again as sugi just said we've been told in this game that all the cards will be available they may not be available in a shiny format they may not be available in a, with a d23 stamp but every card that they're releasing um, with these special treatments will be available uh in a base form which which assumably will be easier to get yeah and i want to throw the next question to jason since you've played a lot of trading card games and you probably had to pick up some of your cards on the secondary market so why don't you explain to the listeners a little bit about how the secondary market works now that we know what it is like what formulates the secondary market yeah um a lot of it comes down to say a particular uh metagame like what cards are popular if they're in a lot of decks that are say like topping events all the time um if they're again um coming from from my game if there's like different rarities uh they can of course like the the higher rarity can be significantly uh more it's and then if if everyone's buying it out then you have of course a supply and demand effect essentially and uh, which is kind of what's going on right now with these cards um, and so, you know, if there's a low amount and, you know, high demand, then obviously you're going to, you're going to have to pay more. And that can actually lead to, uh, to, to problems where, you know, your cars can just, you, you might need like a play set of say Elsa, and then she's going for, you know, four, three, four, five hundred dollars a piece. And, you know, are, if you really want to be like a competitive player, are you really going to shell out like 12, you know, for some cardboard, a a lot of players actually will, you know, for like the super like competitive market in order to get their their chance at glory. I'll just jump in right there to say that, that would would you agree, Jason, that's for getting a, a, your comments there are for getting cards to make a deck work, right? Yes. Like that's, okay. So, right. So that's not, um, again, that's, I think part of what we want to communicate here is at least a part, as far as this game in particular, Lorcana, right now, seem to be collectible cards. Again, the, the, you know, it doesn't seem that there will be some cost you incur if you want to make a, a, a deck in this game. That's how TCGs are. They're collectible card games. So these are, you know, you're going to have to work, do some work on a base level to get all the cards you want to work together for a deck. That That's just, that's that's how every TCG is. But you will not need to spend $3,000 to get a, a D23 set to make your deck work. That's not, that's not, that's not going to be what's happening in this game, um, as far as we could tell. Correct. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So the the big difference between something we've talked about in other episodes is you have sealed product and then you have secondary market product, a.k.a. singles. So right. sealed product means you go to your friendly local game store, Jimmy's House of Dragons, and you say, hey, I want to buy a booster pack of Lorcana. And you spend whatever it is, the standard industry, the industry standard for a booster pack is about four bucks. So you you spend four dollars and you get cards wrapped in foil. So you don't or, know or what's pa- inside. Or, pa- or paper, Sugi. Oh, that's true. Flesh, that's flesh true. and blood has gone to paper, which I really appreciate. I like paper. So you get to have this thrill of unwrapping a booster pack. You have no idea what's inside. On average, you probably get something, though some cards may be worth the $4 you spent. Sometimes you get a big hit or a big pull, as people will call on YouTube, which means you spent $4 and you open up a pack and you get a card that's worth more. So maybe, you know, $20 or $30. Like, oh, oh my gosh, that's awesome. So buying sealed product is totally random. You have no guarantees, no nothing. You just know that there are cards in a pack that you paid money for. So the secondary market kind of takes what, you know, Jason and Chris were saying and combines the best of both worlds where you know exactly what you're going to get. If I have this Mickey Mouse card on eBay for $300, you know, if you pay $300, you're going to get that card. So there's there's zero rarity, zero questions about what you're going to get. However, you also generally are going to pay a higher premium because other people have opened multiple booster packs to find cards that you want. Now, the prices right now, as of this recording, are really, really high, and I do not at all think that a Mickey Mouse card, once the original first booster set comes out, is going to be going for $300. I I could be wrong, but my better judgment says not not likely. And I, and I will debate with Sugi a little bit there that, again... We've talked about that these are special treatments, right? These are. These oh no, no, I'm talking about the booster card, not not the D23 oh, okay. card. No, no debate then. Yes, yeah, <laughs> the, the, yeah. the 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 base set Mickey the Taylor card will, will go nowhere close to with the with the three hundred dollars that you see listed right now, right? Yeah, because I, I want to have that debate after we've established what the secondary market is, because okay. there's a lot of moving parts, and so I want people to be aware going into this conversation that the the secondary market is not a boogeyman. It's uh, right. it, the best thing I've ever heard it explained as is. It's a stock market. So when you know about the stock market, hey, you know, Apple, really expensive. Why is it expensive? Everybody likes it. They've got value. They're a huge multi-million, bajillion dollar company. And so the price of their stock is expensive compared to Jimmy's House of Dragons matcha tea flavored, I don't know, bubble gum. <laughs> Nobody knows what that is. Right. No one has any idea what this company does, and it's not backed with multi-million dollars. So their stock might be pennies. So that's a reflection of the cards. You know, for example, right. we we could see Captain Hook be a very inexpensive card that's a common printing. And so, you know, you'll have, you know, if you buy a, a bunch of booster packs, you might have 10 of him. Whereas, you know, maybe Robin Hood or Mickey is a rare card and you might only have one of him. So there's an artificial rarity, which creates an artificial value. So people say, okay, maybe Captain Hook is worth 10 cents and Mickey Mouse is worth $5. Again, we're just pulling arbitrary numbers out of a hat. But the idea is there is a supply and demand. There is a rarity. And like you guys were saying, there is a value on the card if the card is playable, if it is something that is going to be played in multiple decks, or it helps define a metagame, which means that the card would be something that's called a staple. It's something that everybody has to use because it's just so incredibly powerful or so incredibly flexible that to be a competitive player, you just got to have this card because if you don't you're at a disadvantage so all of those things create value in a secondary market so 
now with that knowledge, I want to talk amongst ourselves about why do you guys think that the current prices of these Lorcana cards are so high? Because I don't care what card game we're talking about. Two grand for six cards is really high. Like, that's just a lot of money. I think it's because people are seeking out a piece of history. I, th- I think this game is people know this game is going to be very popular. It's a it's a it's a Disney IP. Um, I don't know how many people realize that it's not, you know, it's not necessarily managed by Disney itself. It's, it's been it's put, put out to Robinsberger. Um, but it is a Disney IP. It's the first time that um, I believe that there's going to be a, a TCG that with Disney cards. So I, I think people really out, are out there seeking that part of history. And, and there may be value there. Again, if, you know, if, they, if these really are the only D23 stamps they're given of these, these uh, 900 Mickey the Taylor cards, you know, they 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 will have some value that's above the base set Mickey the Tailors. It's all speculation about what that value really is going to be. Obviously, if somebody's buying a Mickey for three hundred dollars, they are they are either speculating that it is worth more than that, or they they don't care what the what the value of it is and they want it for their own personal collection. Those are the, those are the only two answers to that question, right? Either they plan on selling it later on and they think it's going to be worth more later on. Or despite what may happen with it, they they believe that them having that in their collection is worth what they're paying for at this time. Jason, what are your thoughts on the matter? Yeah, I mean, I think Chris pretty much hit it on the head. You know, I, I completely agree with them. So now what I am curious about is what's something that he, that he didn't mention is like, do you do we think in the future, like next year or, or the, the next time they do D23, will there be like another set and like, will this happen again? <sighs> oh, man. And I, I, I know, I know, I know that's kind of like off, off-roading us a little bit, but you know, because like a lot of times at like conventions, like there is like a, right. at times, you know, there is like, like a convention exclusive type of, you know, set essentially, or, you know, like card or some, or something like that. So like, is it, you know, are we like going to be in this situation in the future? I mean, I don't personally think so, but who knows, right? Like I said, it's all speculation. Yeah, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate and answer your question. I, I don't. Well, my, my judgment says no. And I, I know there's people listening. They're like, wow, they already did it once before. Why would they not do it again? And that is a really valid question. I, I do agree. So here's here's my speculative response. Generally, when a game of this nature is announced at a convention of that nature. So D23 is a huge Disney related convention about the theme parks and movies and stuff like that. And Ravensburger had space to make this big announcement with this big, huge collectible surprise that nobody knew about. And it's awesome. It genuinely is really, really cool. But the thing is, the more you do that, in my opinion, the less like value or cool factor it has because if you know oh yeah they're going to be there this year that like the cards will be valuable and the product will be valuable but that that big oomph of they just showed up and oh my gosh i was there that 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 experience and that memory isn't nearly as powerful uh the other big thing is chris also talked about this a lot of people i don't know if you're are, are aware of this but generally the way licensed ip works with games in general is Disney owns the the licensing rights and in, intellectual property or IP to these characters. So Mickey Mouse, Elsa, Robin Hood, Maleficent, Cruella, so on and so forth. So 
Ravensburger has signed a contract where they pay Disney money to use the likenesses of these characters in their game. After that contract has been signed, uh, Disney has made their money and they don't really need to do anything because Ravensburger is the one that has to front the money. They have to front the workload. They have to front all the effort to create the game to print the game, to publish the game, to play test the game, to sustain the game. And Disney just gets royalties off of the top. So if Robinsberger makes, you know, a million dollars, Disney gets X percent. So Disney doesn't really have to do anything, which means, you know, a lot of people are wondering, will Disney support the game with special prizes? And will they be back at D23? And I don't think so. That That's just my opinion, but based on a from a business perspective, I don't actually know if Disney needs to do anything because like we all know people are going to buy it. It's a Disney game. And Robin's Burgers already said they're going to be doing organized play and they're going to make the game readily available. And all these promotional cards that are super expensive will be in the original set. So they're trying to actively make the game accessible to everybody, which means that's awesome and that's fantastic. But if you notice, Disney isn't the one making these statements. It's Robin's Burger. Robin's Burger said we're doing OP. Disney said nothing. Robinsberger said, we're going to make these cards available. Disney said nothing. So I'm not really incentivized to believe Disney is going to provide any kind of special support or prizes or trips to the parks or anything because Robinsberger is the one that has to shoulder all of the pressure. Disney just said, hey, sign this contract, follow these rules and give us money. And that's kind of the end of that conversation. I absolutely think that there will be special edition cards at D23 every year. Or something of the same, or, or some type of Disney convention. Okay. okay. Because, you know, these are ongoing games. There would be a set one, there'll be a set two, there'll be a set three. That You know, they may do a thing where they want to do all the cards and in, in, in set one as, as D23 mark stamps, that kind of thing. And I say that because, you know, again, this is a spectrum, and the game needs both collectors and it needs players. And, you know, it, those things happen at the same time, right? You want people buying the game just to collect it, just to save it, just to because they think they could resell it later on for more. Um, you want people collecting it just because they think the cards are cool and they want to pass them down to their kids. You want people buying the game to actually play it because if, if nobody's playing the game, then the game's not going to you know probably continue on enough long enough for it to be collected, right? So you need all these things moving together. Um, and I see that you know with with each set releasing. You know they're going they're going to be previewed eventually. Let's assume that eventually they they're allowed to do Marvel IP. They're allowed to do uh, Star Wars IP as part of uh, the cards and these or special special sets. So again, the fact that you know they they're they've already said that these are just special treatments. They're not going to impact the ability of a normal player to get these cards through through packs, right? So they can they can make whatever deck they want to make. They can they can mechanically build whatever they want to build. Um, I don't see any problem with them making special stamps of, 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 of a car to make it more rare for the collectors to seek that out um, and have their fun doing that. Um, that's, again, the game I play is Flesh and Blood. And in Flesh and Blood, um, the what we're, you know, will be equivalent to what we're talking about here is in normal, normal packs, you have a, 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 a lower chance of pulling a special treatment of a card called a cold foil. It's just a, a type of foiling. So in, in Flesh and Blood, there are normal foil, foil cards, which is just all shiny all together. A cold foiling is a, is a kind of a matte foil that is is uh, specific areas of the card. Um, they make it shiny in certain areas. 
Um, so that the cold foil cards uh, are very rare, and that's what collectors uh, typically seek seek out. But even players may want to have a whole deck. You know, their, their favorite deck. My favorite hero in that game is called Kano. I may want. I have a whole cold foil Kano set, right? Because I like that hero so much, I want to show them off. So I, I I expected that to be something similar with Lorcana, and I hope that's what it is because that makes collectors happy and it makes players happy, and that supports the game economy overall. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't get me wrong. Like I said, I'm playing devil's advocate. I would love to go to D23. I used to live in LA, so when I go to Anaheim, like that's my hometown. I have family there. I would love to go to D23 with y'all, get some cards, play some games, and then go over to Disneyland and like go get a Dole Whip, show you guys. <laughs> like, no, no joke. There is nothing better than a Dole Whip in the theme parks. We can go ride Indiana Jones Adventure. We can take a picture where we're like, you know, picking our nose while we're going down <laughs> Splash Mountain. Like, I would love to go. I, I really do think they will probably do it. I'm just I'm speculating as to why they may not do it. But like, right, man, if they if they have D23 events with Lorcana and they go, hey, we're going to have it, at, you know, Orlando. Cool. We'll go visit Jason. Hey, we're going to do it on Anaheim. Cool. We'll fly Jason out to come see us. Like, we'll have some fun on the on the pathway. But um, I mean, I think the, it'd be the, great. The best thing I could hope for is that we actually have a Lorcana convention, right? Oh, I mean, that's oh, I yeah. mean, that's what that's that's what we really should be. Hopefully we like this game a lot enough and the, the public likes the game enough and we have enough players where I mean, the, the equivalent of that would be, you know, I just came back from um, Flesh and Blood had a national tournament. You know, again, Flesh and Blood is very focused on playing in person and the organized play, which I don't think that Lorcana will go into. I mean, there will be organized play. I don't know that it would be the level of what a Flesh and Blood does. It's Flesh and Blood is, you know, very structured and there's a nationals and there's worlds and there and there there's tournaments every month almost. So I'm not I'm not sure that I, I want that personally for this game. I want you know I want this game to be uh, much more friendly for my my child to get involved. I still want there to be organized play. Um, but I say all that to say that you know having a uh, Lurkana Worlds would be something equivalent to like having a convention just for Lurkana, right? Where that we all get together, we get to play in, a, in an organized play way, and maybe there's a special card for that. Like, you know, the, the Flesh and Blood does that where you get a special card for going nationals, a special treatment of a card for being at nationals, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would, I would absolutely love to go to a nationals or a worlds. I mean, if there's like a Lurkana con, I, I think that'd be <laughs> odd because, yeah, that just doesn't make sense. But, it, Right. If Disney adds Lorcana into events like D23, that would be fantastic because I've mm. always wanted to go, but I'm not a big like panels kind of guy. Like I've I've been to enough events, especially like, you know, um Star Wars events where, you know, you stand in line for like 20 hours to see one panel and like i i'm okay yep. with watching the youtube video from my house <laughs> in my shorts and t-shirt watching with my cheetos i don't need to be there so you know we each have the things that we love and the things that we may or may not super care about so right i, I think that's kind of fun but really interesting stuff about the secondary market and what we could potentially see in the future so now that we've kind of established what the secondary market is how does it work What's with Lorcana? Let's have some fun speculating. Uh, Chris alluded to this earlier. So what do we think the market will look like in a year when these cards actually go to print and we can crack packs over the mic and you can hear the the christening and crinkling of foil or paper? Actually, if they do paper, I would be really cool with that. Yeah. I, awesome. I like paper packs a lot. They're really, really cool. They have a really fun texture. Of course, this has nothing to do with anything we're talking about, but uh, paper packs are fun. So, all right, what's what's your prediction? Uh, it, we're talking about 2023. It's the winter time. 
the game is coming out or it has come out already, whichever way you want to go. Do you think that these cards, the six cards will be, you know, two to three grand and Mickey will still be floating in the, you know, two to three hundred dollar range thoughts? Oh, I want to clarify specifically the D23 cards, because I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. pretty just, just confident. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident. I would I would wager pretty comfortably that the booster pack boxes without the D23 stamp will not be three grand. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, yeah. If they are, I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll start with the Mickey card himself. Right. Um, I, I agree with Siggy. I don't think that card and I could be again, all spec- speculation, right? I could be completely wrong. I think that card itself, um, depending on how the resource system works, just because he costs so much and I don't believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that card is not foil, correct? It's not foil. It's not foil, correct. Okay, so I think that also like helps my case. I don't think Mickey will hold his value. I think he'll dip maybe by 50% optimistically. Uh, the set itself, actually, I think it will increase um, just because kind of like what Chris alluded to, it's got the D23 hot stamp, it's foiled, it's in that nice collectible kit, like little folder, uh, especially if you keep it sealed, you know, there's no way to get any kind of like imperfections on it. Um, so I think depending on, especially when we get to, again, my, my favorite thing talking about the metagame from a competitive standpoint, especially if you got a card like say Elsa, for example, just because of, you know, her exertion ability, if she becomes like a staple, uh, like Sugi mentioned, I think that set alone could go up in value if those cards end up becoming staples. And then you've got people like me who like to match rarity, uh, their their favorite decks out, then, oh, I'm going to want to seek out, you know, a play set of, of the Elsa, you know, D23 hot stamp cards. <laughs> and then my so, wallet is in big trouble. Right. So max rarity, Jason, would mean right? Like you want the most expensive version of those cars, right? That's yes, yes, yes. Which in this in this case would be extremely expensive. Normally that means getting the the full version, right? Correct. But yeah, now yeah. we now we have a special set that was released a limited amount at, at a at an early release, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's that Yu Gi Oh player, man. You got to have all those secret rare cars <laughs> with the reverse holo foil. Hey, I mean, I get, I get I get in a lot of trouble with it with Dragon Ball Super because you know we have just like our like our commons, uncommons, and rares. Like they can come foil. And then we have what's called super rares and then special rares, which are like fancier, shinier, golden <laughs> versions of, of our, our super rares. And then we have secret rares, which are like even rarer than that. And then they just introduced God rares, which I actually, I don't have the second one, but I have the um, Super Saiyan Blue Vegeta God rare. Um, Ooh. Yes, yes. I am very, I was very happy to, to get that. Um, that. That card is very, very hard to pull. Um, so I, I do, I don't play with it just because it's about, I think three grand right now. Did you uh, crack well, it in a pack? I did. Oh, I did. I bought, I bought, um, so for frame of reference for the, uh, the listeners, I bought six boxes of the set that it came in. I believe the pull rate for that thing was like one out of either four or six cases. So what that means is there's, um, 24 packs in one box and then a case is 12 boxes. So, and then you times that by say, say it's four cases, for example. So it's, you know, 24, you know, well, all the way down, down the line. So it's, it's very, very rare to, to pull yeah. that. So, so I will say, uh, I guess I'll take the opposite argument that, uh, well, first of all, it's, it depends heavily on how popular the game is, right? Mm-hmm. I think the game's going to be popular. The game's going to be, you know, popular, especially with collectors. Um, and I believe, you know, assuming that they don't release 
they don't create any more of these cards with the same stamp. Uh, they have these, the, these, these same seven cards. They have, say, D23 on them. I think they will retain their value or go up. Only because... You know, you have to imagine, too, that these people now, that this is where the, the market is. And it's been some time now. I mean, it's been, you know, what has it been, three, four weeks um, that these have, they've held a, a pretty good good price. Um, and so somebody that is, you know, bought the Mickey for, assumably, they, they, you know, now they've changed hands. And this is, let's guess you bought a Mickey for 250 right? You're, you're less likely to sell that at a loss, right? Unless you need the money for some reason. So the same thing with these sets. If you bought the set for 2700 you're unlikely to, to try to, to get 2200 out of it unless the market crashes, which the market won't crash unless they make more of them with the same stamp, in my opinion. So I, I think they're going to retain their value or increase. Um, the longer you hold typically cars of this nature, they, the, the, the value increases as long as something doesn't happen where they print more, the game fails, that type of thing. Um, so I, I think it is interesting, you know, if, if I compare it to Flesh and Blood, Again, the first cold foils in, in, in my game of choice, uh, there's a, a thing called a fable, which is one in, I want to say 40, oh, I always forget this, it's 40 boxes or 40 packs, probably 40 boxes. Um, some of that, pretty, a pretty rare card. And the cold, the highest rarity version of that, you know, uh, went for quite a bit of money. And that, that has, you know, he, generally held its value, even with the ups and downs of the, of the market. Um, Still, still very, still very valuable. So I, I think these are going to hold their value. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We actually recorded a two-hour show that we are splitting into part one and part two. So this has been part one. Part two will be out in a couple of weeks. So get excited because we had a lot of fun talking about what the secondary market looks like and how it's going to, at least we think, how it's going to affect the Lorcana TCG in the future. So we will have part two up in a couple of weeks, and we can't wait to see everyone then. So thank you for joining us. You can find Lorcana Cast on Twitter and Facebook at LorcanaCast. And you can also check us out at LorcanaHQ.com. So those are the best places to connect with us, ask questions, talk to our crew, and just enjoy this amazing community. So we will see everyone next time. And so remember, Ohana means family. Nobody gets left behind. Nobody forgotten. Until I become your number one No medicine, no medicine, no medicine